Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work, the podcast from the British Association of Social Workers. This is space for conversation, discussion with social workers, the individuals they support, and colleagues working in related professions. We consider the key matters affecting social workers as we explore contemporary issues with a focus at the local, national and global levels. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. You're joining us for a special extended edition in celebration of World Social Work Day 2021. And the theme of World Social Work Day this year is Ubuntu. And that's what my guests and I are going to explore in some detail. First, I'm joined by my colleague Joachim Mumba from the International Federation of Social Workers Africa, and we discuss what the philosophy of Ubuntu is. Later, I talk with colleagues from the UK and Hungary, Jerry Nasovska, David Jones and Geza Gastonyi, to discuss the social work response to the rise of populism and nationalism in Europe, and how the values of Ubuntu represent a direct challenge to the principles of populism. Thanks for listening, and if you're enjoying the series, please tell your friends and colleagues and share on social media. Thanks. Joachim, welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. It's really wonderful to be able to speak with you. How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. I'm, I'm happy, um, and uh, thank you so much, Andy, for having me. It's a pleasure. It's a real pleasure. Uh, Joachim, you are in, in Lusaka, which is in Zambia. Is that right? Yes, you're right. I'm in Lusaka, uh, Zambia, and uh, Zambia is actually in the southern part of Africa. Okay. And is it your summertime at the moment? Uh, yes, this is summertime. Uh, it's rainy season uh, for us, and uh, we're having a lot of uh, rains, and uh, it's quite hot out there. So, yeah, we're happy. Good, good. Joachim, today we're going to be talking about Ubuntu. Um, the theme of World Social Work Day 2021 is Ubuntu. And Ubuntu is a key element of the International Federation of Social Workers 2020 to 2030 Global Agenda for Social Work and Social Development. Now, I know that to many of our listeners, Ubuntu is a concept they will have encountered and they may be familiar with it. For others, however, they may never have heard of Ubuntu. Um, it would be really helpful if we could begin our discussion with an explanation of what the philosophy of Ubuntu is. Uh, yes, um, um, I'll try uh, as much as possible to um, to share what I understand um, about the concept and the philosophy of Ubuntu. And maybe just to mention, Andy, that, uh, you know, during our, 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 our conference, the 2020 conference for IFSW, uh, as well as uh, the general meeting, in fact, specifically during the conference, uh, Africa, um, uh, the Africa region uh, proposed uh, Ubuntu uh, to be included as part of uh, the global agenda, as part of the pillars uh, for the global agenda. And uh, this basically we're trying to tap into our, you know, um, our indigenous uh, knowledge, indigenous way of doing things uh, from the African perspective, so that we also contribute to the, you know, global narrative. Uh, so uh, coming to um, uh, Ubuntu, um, you know, you have already mentioned that uh, Ubuntu is, uh, you know, one of um, um, uh, the global agenda pillars. But just to try and, uh, you know, um, make us understand what Ubuntu stands for, I would say that Ubuntu is uh, purely an African philosophy. And uh, the word Ubuntu itself, which is uh, pronounced as Ubuntu, 
uh, is uh, a Zulu word uh, or a Zulu term, which means uh, humanity. And it is often translated as I am because uh, we are, or humanity towards others. Or in Zulu, it, uh, they, they, we normally, I mean, they normally um, uh, go ahead to talk about Ubuntu, Ngumuuntu, and Gabantu. So uh, it's purely a concept or a philosophy which uh, really uh, highlights the importance of humanity, the importance of uh, belonging, the importance of uh, community life. And uh, maybe let me just uh, explain this uh, by, you know, uh, giving you a story, uh, very short, um, about uh, uh, about uh, what uh, really uh, transpired by this anthropologist who was trying to understand, you know, the concept of Ubuntu. And uh, what happened was that uh, this anthropologist proposed a game to African, you know, um, uh, tribal children. And, uh, you know, he placed a basket of sweets near a tree and made the children stand about 100 meters away from the tree and then announced that uh, whoever reaches first would get all the sweets in the basket you know and when uh, he said ready go do you know what happened tell me you know the the children yes so all the children held themselves their, their hands you know they all held each other's hands and ran together towards the tree um, and then when they reached the tree, because they were holding each other's hands, they arrived or reached the tree at the same time. And then they divided the sweets equally among themselves and ate the sweets and enjoyed it. And then uh, when the anthropologist asked uh, them why they did so, and the answer was Ubuntu, you know, which meant how can one be happy when others are sad, you know, and uh, you know, basically, this is really uh, what I, I mean. What uh, this concept is all about. This is philosophy is all about. And just about uh, last week here in Zambia, you know, there was uh, some people that put up a you know a picture of uh, this lady who was you know um, who is uh, suffering from cancer and she's been bedridden for so many years and then they cannot raise money for treatment. And this person uh, put uh, this picture on uh, social media. And it was basically, I saw it on uh, on Facebook and they were basically looking for resources for any, from any, you know, well-wisher to contribute so that this uh, lady can access, um, you know, uh, treatment. Then our Republican president, uh, Dr. Edika Chagwalungu, you know, came forth and uh, said that they are going to take care of all her, you know, medical expenses. And in, in his own way, uh, I just read part of uh, what um, um, the president wrote on Facebook. Um, the second paragraph, it says, but this is not a fight that we should leave Mrs. Msonda to fight by herself. In the spirit of who we are as a people of faith and guided by ethos of Ubuntu, I'm pledging that I'll meet all the medical requirements to cater uh, for Ms. Um, Chamam Sonda's treatment. So, end of quote. So, Ubuntu, it's about, uh, you know, uh, uh, providing support to those that uh, need support, helping each other, realizing that, uh, you know, we are interconnected. We are, you know, we share the, you know, this, the same bond. 
and uh, like what others would say that the concept is used in a more philosophical sense to mean the belief in a universal bond of sharing uh, that connects that connects all humanity you know and also there is this belief that sharing is actually caring so uh, basically that is about the concept of ubuntu and it is found in uh, most african uh, you know countries especially you know in the southern part of uh, africa and you'd find that uh, like in my country we may not use it uh, to me i mean we may not use the same term Ubuntu, but would use the equivalent uh, term about which basically, you know, uh, uh, refers to Ubuntu. But I just wanted to highlight some of uh, the issues like, uh, you know, the various um, ways that are used to describe Ubuntu. There is a definition of complexity about Ubuntu. And, uh, you know, people have struggled to define Ubuntu. The only thing they've tried to do, and uh, which I've also tried to do, is basically to describe and not to define uh, Ubuntu. And uh, it is, makes life easier also when uh, we describe Ubuntu by, I mean, bring up, uh, up some of the words and the concepts that best describe Ubuntu, like sympathy, compassion, benevolence, solidarity, hospitality, generosity, sharing, openness, you know, interdependency, collectivity, you know, caring, all these different words uh, for me put together or even individually, they help us understand what we mean by Ubuntu. Thank you, Joachim. So in terms of that idea that, you know, community and communalism is at the center of Ubuntu, um, does that mean that the interests of the individual are then subordinate to the interests of the community? Uh, not necessarily so. Um, you know, it, it tries also to run away from the idea of uh, or the philosophical worldview of individualism, uh, but uh, it still takes care of uh, the in, I mean the the, the, the needs of uh, an individual in the community. So it's really about uh, we cannot be happy when the other person is um, is not happy, or we cannot be happy if the other, other another person is not doing well. So maybe just to borrow what um, you know Archbishop Desmond Tutu said in his book um, the, of 1999, uh, where he described a person with Ubuntu as being open and available to others, you know, being open and available to others, affirming of others, and does not feel threatened that others are able and uh, good based uh, from a proper self-assurance. And that, that comes from knowing that uh, he or she belongs uh, in a greater whole and is diminished when others are humili humiliated or diminished, when others are tortured or oppressed. So it really, it's not about um, kind of uh, throwing away uh, the, the, the aspect of the needs of an individual or thing like that, but it's really uh, trying to look at how does the community respond even when an individual has got uh, uh, issues, has got uh, problems. How do we live together as, 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 as uh, individuals in a collective? So basically that's what it tries to you know, uh, uh, promote. 
I'd, I'd watched a YouTube video earlier of Desmond Tutu, Archbishop Tutu, and he, uh, when describing Ubuntu, he said, I want you to be all you can be because that is the only way I can be all I can be. And he went on to say that, you know, when you dehumanize another, you dehumanize yourself, which I thought was a really helpful explanation. Seeing as we're talking about um, uh, Desmond Tutu, in terms of uh, Ubuntu, it's, it's a concept which is often associated with South Africa, um, in particular in relation to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission established in South Africa. And I actually, I, I was reading up in advance, um, I know that Ubuntu was, was quoted um, or included in the interim constitution in the transitional period post-apartheid in South Africa. And just a quote from that, um, the, the constitution stated that the adoption of the constitution lays the secure foundation for the people of South Africa to transcend the divisions and strife of the past, which generated gross violations of human rights and the transgression of humanitarian principles in violent conflicts and a legacy of hatred, fear, guilt and revenge. And that these can now be addressed on the basis that there is a need for understanding, but not for vengeance, a need for reparation, but not for retaliation, a need for Ubuntu, but not for victimization. I think one key that stands out uh, from uh, the Truth and uh, Reconciliation Commission was uh, the aspect of um, dealing with issues of, uh, you know, uh, restorative justice, not more in a vengeance uh, way, but in a more uh, kind of reconciliatory way and uh, in a humane way and in a more harmonious way. And I think for me, um, um, uh, that was really guided by Ubuntu and that really helped um, um, uh, to, to, for, for people of South Africa really to, you know, to rise above what they went through uh, during the apartheid era. Yeah, Joachim, when that, that interim constitution, it refers to reparation, but not for retaliation, is the idea that if you are to take vengeance on somebody, if you're to retaliate, that you then actually diminish yourself, that you're harming yourself in doing that, that seeking reparation, seeking a restorative approach is, is much more beneficial to you as an individual? Yes, I think exactly that. And uh, it is actually uh, uh, something that um, even helps really to build uh, communities and so that uh, people don't look at each other as enemies, but they look at each other as part and parcel of the community and strengthens the spirit of uh, togetherness. And also really uh, when uh, you, uh, you are proponents or one is proponent of uh, vengeance, you find that uh, in 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 pushing, you know, the aspect of vengeance, uh, you are basically, you know, uh, going in the same position with a person probably that was perpetrating certain, uh, you know, evil deeds. So I think that is what it's trying to, you know, uplift. Uh, and 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 maybe let me just add uh, one uh, little thing. Um, if uh, you look at um, what happened uh, during the inauguration of uh, uh, Nelson Mandela as uh, the former president of uh, South Africa? Uh, you know, Nelson Mandela was in jail for over 27 years. And then uh, during, that was during apartheid. But at the end of apartheid, uh, he, was, he became president of South Africa. And one thing that really stands out from um, what happened was that during his inauguration, his jailer 
he's jealous. The people that uh, put him behind bars were also part, I mean, invited to his inauguration. And really, he honored. I mean, he, he introduced them at, as as uh, as honored uh, guests or guests of honor. So for me, I think that can only be as a result of uh, uh, Ubuntu. That I mean, that's incredible, and it really speaks to you know Mandela's strength of character. It's not many people would be able to have that that sense of uh, grace and compassion in that context. I wouldn't imagine, Joachim. We've talked about Ubuntu in terms of uh, healing social division. What about Ubuntu in terms of social work practice? Yeah, so Ubuntu in terms of social work uh, practice is, you know, there are times that we are not very conscious or rather in, here in Africa, we're not conscious about Ubuntu. But I think the, 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 the nature and the things that we do, the way we live, uh, there's some elements really that points to the fact that, yes, uh, some of these elements, uh, you know, point to the... Uh, the philosophy of Ubuntu. And I can give you um, uh, different examples, uh, uh, maybe just, uh, you know, um, some of the, 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 the proverbs uh, in my language, I will also try and uh, say them in, uh, in English. Uh, there is one uh, uh, proverb which uh, talks about karikoka uh, nkanyama tiritiwiri ntiwantu, meaning that uh, when you are on your own, you are as good as an animal or a wild animal, but when they, they are the two of you, or you form a community. So that is the saying. And there's another saying which talks about, um, I mean, uh, points to, to the fact that um, uh, when we're looking at uh, children, for instance, uh, we say that mwana wamzako ngwako yemwe, ukachenjera manja udyanai, meaning that your neighbor's child is your own is your own child okay and his success or her success is your success too so what happens is that uh, you know um looking at the, the 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 concept of ubuntu the way we've lived in the communities the way we've lived in the villages uh what we never knew in africa or in our you know in our villages we never knew uh, things like you know uh, orphanages or childcare facilities, because what happened was that um, if say I died today and I leave uh, my children orphaned, then it means my brother or my sister will take care of those uh, children the way I would take care of them and send them to school, and so the concept of orphan uh, orphanhood was never there. And for me, when I'm looking at social practice, giving this just as an example, uh, is that, uh, you know, as social workers, what we need to do is to look out for some of the things, the traditional way of doing things uh, in, in the African context, which ones are positive, which ones are, you know, um, are things that we can learn from and see how do we support or strengthen some of those so as to help us in terms of uh, social work practice. And we see that um, this aspect of taking care of uh, orphan children would really be helpful uh, if it was strengthened. Yes, we know that um, that time the extended family set up was quite strong and that uh, we did not really have issues to do with economic challenges, but now we are faced with all these economic challenges. But then what can social workers do to strengthen, uh, you know, extended, I mean, the, the family system, you know, to get back to the olden days, maybe by 
you know, doing a lot of economic strengthening of families so that even uh, when a parent dies and children are left orphaned, then they don't necessarily need to go to uh, institutions of care, uh, but then they can be taken care of by, uh, you know, empowered families or empowered relatives. So those are some of the issues I think that, um, you know, social work should tap in. Other issues could be that um, if you look back, uh, again, following the same concept of Ubuntu, you would find that uh, communities themselves were taking care of uh, vulnerable people in the communities. You know, um, uh, if say there is uh, an, an, um, an elderly person, uh, you know, uh, they are not able to look after themselves instead of sending them to a home for odd people, the community itself would be able to mobilize, provide food, provide shelter, and things like that. And that is the, the spirit, I think, that also we need to uh, see how can social work then uh, take advantage of such kind of uh, thing to, you know, uh, to, 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 to ensure that uh, communities are strengthened and the members of the community look after themselves, they take care of themselves. So I think those are some of the things that I think I would point out um, that uh, social work should learn from uh, uh, the concept or the spirit of Ubuntu. And Joachim, just to clarify for me, are those practices which are happening now within social work in, in Zambia where you are, or is it a case that social work needs to learn those lessons from Ubuntu? Yeah, I mean, um, I've been practicing social work for quite some time now. I think I should say close to about 20 years. And I've worked um, in uh, you know different settings. And what I see is that... Uh, you know, the approach, even in the in terms of social training in country, has been that um, uh, you don't go to the community as an expert, but you go there as a partner to learn from the community and to utilize, uh, I mean, to take advantage of the resources available within the community to help them help themselves. So with that view or, you know, with that approach, you find that um, you, we've been actually, uh, in most cases, when we're doing uh, community work or community development work, uh, been uh, working, uh, looking at the you know the strengths that the communities have, uh, tapping into the the strengths of the community, and uh, ensuring that uh, the community uses its own resources within you know that kind of setup to help I mean to help themselves or resolve uh, the problems that any you know individual community members are facing or the community as uh, uh, at large is facing so i would say that yes uh, i think uh, in most african countries particularly in my country uh, i think uh, social practice to some extent has been informed by the uh, you know the the philosophy of ubuntu and then also in terms of um, Ubuntu and social justice, um, Joachim, so in terms of the equitable distribution of resources, um, does Ubuntu have anything to say about that? You, I'm just coming back to the, the analogy you gave at the start, the story of the children and the sharing the sweets. Does Ubuntu speak about issues of, of economic justice? Yes, I think Ubuntu speaks to um, uh, issues of, um, uh, you know, uh, economic justice and, uh, you know, uh, issues to do with inequalities and, the, you know, but again, to what extent are we using as Africans Ubuntu to ensure uh, that uh, there is um, uh, equality and that inequality is defeated? I think that is another question because there's, again, other factors. Um, I remember our 
first Republican president used to talk about the animal in man, uh, which conflicts with the concept or the spirit of Ubuntu. So it's like the animal in man has taken charge and then you find that um, there is uh, so much this uh, uh, self-drive, the self-motivation in man now that uh, we don't look at uh, ensuring that there is equality in the distribution of resources. Uh, corruption has crept in also and all these other vices. So yes, I think with time and with the conscious um, or deliberate um, um, uh, uh, efforts, I think if we adjust and adopt the Ubuntu approach in all aspects, I think we can achieve uh, economic equality in our society. Thank you, Joachim. Um, in the next section of this episode, I'm going to be discussing with uh, colleagues Jerry Nasowska and David Jones from Basel UK and also Giza Gostoni um, from IFSW Europe about the work of IFSW Europe in responding to the rise of populism. Um, now, populism often has nationalistic elements. It has a tendency to marginalise and oppress the interests of minority groups and migrants. And just with, with all of that in mind, I'm coming back to the, you know, near the start of our conversation, we talked about, um, you know, when you dehumanise another, you dehumanise yourself. And that was the quote from Tutu. Do you think that Ubuntu as a concept um, has relevance wider than Africa in relation to addressing social, um, social division? Yeah, I, th I, th I think so. It does. It does. Because, uh, I mean, when we're talking about, for instance, issues to do with uh, racism, of course, you would not dehumanize uh, somebody um, if you are so conscious about Ubuntu. Uh, you, you are not supposed to, you cannot uh, dehumanize somebody just on the basis of uh, a different race. And uh, yes, we also talk about uh, issues to do with uh, immigration or migrants that uh, we have quite a number of economic migrants, even those that get into Europe, and you see the extent to which um, they are dehumanized and uh, they are treated. But again, uh, we see that if we all were conscious as, as a people, you know, uh, globally, uh, and uh, really adopted the, you know, the philosophical worldview uh, in the name of Ubuntu, and I, th I think we we'll do uh, things uh, differently in terms of treating each other. You know, there's uh, this that we normally say in Africa that, um, uh, in olden days, and even now to some extent, uh, you know, uh, a stranger or a visitor, uh, you don't necessarily need to ask them whether they need water when they pass through your place. Uh, they are walking a long distance. You don't know where they've come from and they've branched off your homestead. And uh, you just look at them and you see that this, this particular person needs help. Before you greet them, you need to offer them maybe a glass of water. And uh, there is a tribe in country here where uh, water... Uh, it's not really an issue, but they would uh, prepare a certain drink which every household should always have. And uh, that drink is called Chibwantu. And this is uh, by a tribe called, uh, you know, the Tonga people. So when you visit a village in the Tonga land, uh, the first thing, even if they don't know you, they don't know your name, before they ask who you are, where you're coming from, they will offer you that drink. You know, and that is really uh, uh, motivated by Ubuntu because uh, it is taken that um, a stranger should not be rubbished. A stranger should be, you know, embraced and uh, uh, helped. And even given one night accommodation, you provide accommodation and you give them food and then tomorrow they go. And that is really the spirit of Ubuntu. 
So I feel really, I feel really that uh, you know the philosophy of Ubuntu would really change the way we view each other, the way we look at each other, the way we treat each other, and even when it comes to looking at uh, you know the minorities who globally and uh, if, if it, I mean we would not treat people the way we treat them if we are motivated by the ethos of Ubuntu. Thank you, Joachim. Thank you so much, Andy. Welcome, David. Welcome, Jerry. Welcome, Geza. It's lovely to have you all with me. Um, how are you all doing? Jerry, how are you? Are you well? Okay. Hello. Hi, David. And Geza, are you well? Yes? Fine. Very much. Very good. Good. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Let's Talk Social Work. I will introduce you all um, so the listeners know who they're listening to. Jerry Nosovska is the chair of Baswa UK, and Jerry is also the co-host of the fantastic Helpful Social Work podcast. David Jones is chair of the Baswa International Committee and a former president of the International Federation of Social Workers. And Geza Gastonyi is one of the founding members of the Hungarian Association of Social Workers, and he is the association's current chair. Exactly. Welcome. Welcome to everybody. So, Jerry, David, Geza, we've just heard in the first section of the episode, um, Joachim uh, explain the concept of Ubuntu, how it can influence social work and its potential for healing social division. And it's that last point, healing social division, that I want to explore with the three of you in some detail as we discuss the social work response to the rise of populism in Europe. Now, the International Federation of Social Workers Europe endorsed a statement in September 2019 concerning current challenges to social stability in Europe. And among the various points included was the need to address the rise of nationalism and populism. So I'd like to discuss how that statement came about and how it is affecting the work of IFSW Europe. But first of all, it would be good if we could spend a little bit of time exploring just what populism is and what its core features are. Jerry, could you take a couple of minutes just to lead us off and explain what your understanding of populism is? It is quite a contested concept. I think that's the first thing to say. Roughly, it is um, a, a kind of ideology or philosophy that sets people at odds with one another, sets people against one another. Quite often that's expressed as an idea of the people um, in, in opposition to another, which might be the elite. And it can fuel uh, political activity. And uh, so you can have populist parties or populist politicians um, who can come from any part of the political spectrum. And the traits, as you've mentioned, quite often are around being exclusionary. Um, so othering some people and it's quite often divisive and it's quite often about creating a sense of threat or fear so that people follow that ideology or policy um, or that party or pol politician and um, react against another group. So it's it's quite polarising um, and although it's, it's difficult to um, define one of the things that you, you do see is that um, populist or um, exclusionary kind of political movements, ideological movements can end up turning into serious oppression. And in some cases, we've seen historically, not even that long ago, 
they can develop into tyranny. So I think rather than trying to define it, it's quite helpful to think about the the problem, you know, what are the issues that arise from this way of, of thinking or behaving or, or acting politically. And those are that it causes division, that it causes exclusion. And also populist rhetoric has a tendency to exclude evidence, whether that's learned or lived experience. So for social work, obviously, that's going to be a problem because of the division, the inequality that it can breed, um, the oppression that can come from it. And also because we are striving to be evidenced and 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 we can find ourselves struggling to to respond to things that are not evidenced. Um, and and you know, we just heard from joking about Ubuntu. So a shorthand really is, is to think of populist policies and rhetoric as the opposite of Ubuntu. Mm-hmm. They are dehumanizing rather than expressing our common humanity. Thanks, Jerry. I'd read some really interesting um information from an academic called Cash Muda. He's a, a Dutch academic and he's written um, an awful lot about populism. He described it as a thin ideology. I kind of take it, it's more, almost more an approach to politics. He, he described it as a thin I- ideology, which needs to be paired with another outlook. So you'll have populism on the right paired with nationalism, potentially, or, you know, ex- or, you know, extreme conservatism. And on the left, you'll have populism paired with socialist ideology. So that populism in itself mm-hmm. isn't, doesn't really tell you very much. It doesn't have an opinion on what the best economic or political system will be. It's how that is paired with another um, type of um, political ideology. I find that quite a useful Mm -hmm. way to look at that. And you're completely right. In terms of everything that Joachim and I discussed about Ubuntu, it feels like populism very definitely runs counter, at least, sorry, right-wing populism, certainly. if Ubuntu emphasizes the importance of a shared humanity, about belonging, about community life, interconnection, that seems to be very different from what populism speaks of, particularly in relation to the othering of minorities and also just the division between the people and the, the elite. It's not an, a, an inclusive approach. Um, in terms of IFSW's work on populism, David, what, what brought about, um, what led to IFSW agreeing that statement back in 2019? Well, if, if we remember back then, and Jerry was uh, at the meeting, um, which I think was in Romania, um, and uh, we were discussing um, uh, what, what were the, the threats to social work practice and the migration refugee crisis was was building up and there were strong reactions against that. Um, so there were a number of things that were coming together, in addition to which there were some countries that were beginning to implement legislation against minorities and um, or the, the classic one across Europe, a Roma people. Um, but uh, also there were views about homeless people um, and uh, legislation that were preventing homeless people from finding the means to survive on the streets um, and um, taking them into more or less locked up environments. So social workers were reacting to that and I think looking to assert social work values which are primarily in terms of values about inclusion although one has to say that that isn't always what the practice has been and there are contexts in the in history where we can see that social work has allied itself with populism or elements of populist or nationalist policies and um, that's always a worry for social workers 
What would be an example of that, David? Um, well, I guess um, if you look at Spain in the 1930s, um, where there was um, the children were removed from those who were um, opposed to the regime and placed for adoption in other places. Um, in Germany, um, there were some places and you you could say, I, I guess, um, some, well, there's always the risk in ch- childcare policies um, in, in our country that, that we stray into some of these areas of removing children from some groups and placing them for adoption with other groups, for example. Um, it's, um, it's, so it's a, a, a complex area, but it's something that I think social work has to always be um, on the guard about because our work is so closely linked with government policies. If I may join to both of you, uh, Hungary is the worst example of all what you told before. So uh, absolutely the worst example. So, uh, uh, and uh, I think that uh, uh, when I started to uh, read uh, articles about this topic, about populism, uh, the first uh, fact which shocked me was uh, that populism was so widely spread everywhere in the, in the, throughout the world that it was a surprise even for me. So it's not a unique thing. It's 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 an overall phenomenon. And today, I would say that it's much more a consequence. And I raised the question: Why did it happen that in so many countries populism appeared and is effective? And my my answer for that that. Uh, after the uh, Second World War, uh, the uh, the uh, healing uh, uh, took place, and maybe that healing is over. So uh, uh, we need we uh, more we need more uh, strong men, uh, more uh, strong hands. Uh, we have uh, different uh, uh, social changes. So the the the. Uh, different crises like the 2008 uh, economical crisis or the COVID uh, just now or the uh, uh, transforming of the uh, social interest representation, uh, the different forms which were weakened uh, dramatically everywhere. So there are so many social changes that uh, uh, helped uh, that the healing is over and uh, and uh, people need uh, a very simple and very easy answer. Uh, as a social worker, for me, the most thing which uh, which fra- the the thing which uh, frustrates me most is the confrontation theory. So if I uh, hear the word populism, uh, the first word is which comes to my mind is confrontation. So uh, confrontation between the poor and the rich, uh, the confrontation and the exclusion uh, between the people in the country and uh, and outside of the country. So uh, I think it's a, it's a war model and not a peace model. So social work is a peace model. Uh, so I think that... Uh, for example, uh, in, in Hungary, the, uh, the most uh, developing industry is the security industry. And the security industry uh, creates uh, the security of those who have. 
and uh, and social work creates security for those who have not so this is uh, very important for us that uh, we have to uh, have the excluded and uh, in in populism uh, this is very hard because uh, if we look at the uh, previously mentioned ubuntu model uh, it appeared uh, and strengthened in the african continent uh, when the apartheid period was over when the colonialism period was over so let's find out what we can learn from it and one of the things thank you very much case one of the things is interesting you describe populism as a phenomenon and it it, it straddles um, it seems to be all across europe it doesn't seem to matter the extent to which a country is a wealthy country or maybe a less wealthy country. You know, you have populist parties in Finland, for example. You have populist parties in the UK. You've had populist parties in power until very recently in, in Italy with the, the Northern League. You currently in Hungary have a populist government. You can say the same thing about Poland. Uh, Andy, there is one extremely important difference. Mm -hmm. And this is that uh, in the Hungarian constitution populism is built in in the constitution and that's very unique so nowhere else exists such a stupid situation such a crazy situation and uh, that destroys all democratic institutions so tell me more about that Geza. what do you mean by it's built into the hungarian constitution it means that for example the populist leader is somebody who says that uh, i'm the hero so, for example, Mr. Orban uh, was uh, explaining in the radio that uh, he is possible to give vaccina against COVID uh, within a weekend. So a weekend is enough to vaccinate the whole population of Hungary, which is 10 million people. And uh, the surprising thing is that nobody is against that uh, position. So it's so unbelievable, but uh, people accept it, usually. So it, there is no, no contradiction concerning that. Thank you, Geza. David, Jerry, in terms of populism, the appeal of populism, sorry, I'm not saying it appeals to me, but it obviously has an appeal. Um, how does it benefit its supporters? And how does it disadvantage those who are left out? I think from our the last part of the conversation, we were reflecting on how populism has developed in so many countries in different ways, but with many common themes. And I think this is a reaction against globalization. It's a reaction against the the um, globalization of the economy, the fact that um, fewer and fewer corporate um, structures like um Microsoft, if you like, or Amazon, um, uh, a number of these big, big companies are now dominating everybody's lives. And the sense of identity and, and connection with a local area and the sense of fragility about employment, all of these things are real and genuine and serious worries. And if the political system isn't able to offer people protections and a vision about what this means and why people can feel safe in it, they will look for other solutions. And I, I think the economic crisis of 2008 brought this to a head and we are now seeing the consequences. It takes a long time for reactions to these big shifts to happen. So people are worried about their identity, they're worried about their locality, they're worried about their employment. 
and they're worried about whether government is there really to protect them or whether they're on their own. And all of that has created a sense of anxiety, which in some places feeds through into uh, populist um, reactions. Jerry, I don't know if you agree with some of that. I do. I think, Andy, you were asking about the benefits and the impact and the, the benefits, I think, for people who kind of buy into a particular rhetoric or ideology are that they have a sense of inclusion and of being understood and belonging and that they have a sense of certainty because, um, as Geza was saying, one of the things that populism feeds off is this idea of some kind of strong leader who will get us through whatever uncertainty or, or threat people feel that they face. And that's why it's particularly problematic if the, the strong leader role is written into the structures. So you end up having somebody with a really constant, large concentration of power because that way they can lead to more oppression. Uh, so I think the, the benefit feels like inclusion and belonging and certainty in the face of some of the things that David was talking about, which are kind of the threat of change, um, of loss of, of you know, the, the way the world was and the way that we, we felt things ought to be. Um, and also of um, you know, the uncertainty of, of your economic position, for example. So populism tends to rise when there's when there's um, less economic certainty. The problem is, obviously, the impact of that is that some people don't belong and some people are excluded. And that leaves the, the way open to them being, um, them having a loss of human rights, a loss of belonging in terms of their citizenship um, or their protections. And that might be actual protections in front of the law, or it might be things like social security and that can lead to um, those people actually not surviving ultimately, but really not thriving. And I think the, the, the thing that we need to understand about this is that that undermines everybody. So there is no benefit, in fact. Um, if you start marginalising and excluding some people, then we all suffer. And that's where the, the philosophy of Ubuntu is, Ubuntu is really helpful in thinking about this because... Um, it has this concept of where one person is unhappy, we're all unhappy. If one person's rights are threatened, all our rights are threatened. Um, if we don't uphold everyone's rights, then we're at risk of, lo- of everyone losing their rights. And when you undermine someone else's humanity, you're essentially undermining your own. That's, I suppose, the Desmond Tutu kind of line that I discussed with Joachim. I want you to be all that you can be so that I can be all that I can be. And this is where it gets difficult, because from a social work point of view, social work is a profession that advocates on behalf of people that may be voiceless. It, it, it seeks to include people who may be excluded. But if you are engaging with a service user as a social worker, you're not affirming their views. You're not, you're not giving your voice to their views. So how do you go about as a social work practitioner including someone whose views may be counter to your own? And how do you begin to work with that person to potentially highlight how their views are exclusionary? I think this, I think this is a real challenge. And Jerry's got some, some helpful thoughts about this, which uh, it would be, be good to share. But there are situations which have been described where um, uh, in, a, in a hospital, for example, uh, um, somebody who is um, in pain and in a, a really difficult personal health situation it, uh, makes racist comments to people 
um, in the ward or elsewhere, what do you do about that? Do you tell them that they are banned? Do you tell them that they can't express those views? Do you say they're not eligible for treatment? Um, and that feels ethically wrong. Um, but yet um, to allow some of these things to persist in a residential home or elsewhere is a real challenge. I think, Jerry, you had were sharing some very useful approaches, I think, um, to, to help us do work through this. It's really, really tricky, isn't it? And I think the, the very first thing to say and be really categorical about is that tolerance of intolerance is intolerance. So you can't tolerate intolerant views. Um, However, people who express intolerance views are still humans. They still need to recognise their humanity. And I think the, the way that social work has always worked and the kind of capabilities um, and expertise that social work has is something that we really need in our communities and in our countries where there is division. And so listening to people, accepting their perceptions, accepting their reality... Um, critically reflecting on that and challenging that respectfully without hopefully undermining people's dignity and helping people to hold a certain amount of uncertainty. Uh, I think all of those things, these things, these things help us. Um, but we, we will, um, we will need to tackle, I think, populism on two levels. We need to undertake the work within our communities to help people understand one another um, and I'll, I'll come on to that in a second we also need to challenge um, politically and stand up for human rights as a, as a collective as well um, but in terms of kind of how we can help people communicate when it seems like there's there's it's almost impossible to overcome divisions I found a really hopeful piece of research that was um, about a national conversation on immigration so this was done by British Future and Hope Not Hate and their final report came out in 2018 and there is a real division in, in the United Kingdom about immigration. Uh, and what they were doing was bringing people together to talk about that and find any common ground that they could. And what they found was that there's a lot of people who are balancers, who can see both positives and negatives. Um, and what's really interesting and some things that I think are really important for us to know as social workers is that, is that the moderate conversations happened face-to-face, -face, not online. Online, people were much more polarised. Um, perceptions about this were framed through a local lens, so you need, need to be local and understand the local reality to really build a good conversation. And social contact with migrants changed people's views. So where people were less integrated, they were more negative. Um, and also where social uh, socioeconomic conditions were better, people were more positive about immigration. And... So there's so much there for us to build on, isn't there? Um, and so the work that social work does that's more widely about social justice and, and equality will benefit us in this regard as well. So, so I think that uh, uh, in populism, the, for me, the most problematic thing is that it, it has an effect, a very intensive emotional effect, but, but uh, the trap in this whole game is that uh, it steals my understanding about the world. So uh, it has no intellectual reasoning. This, this means that it steals the meaning of the world, the meaning of the society, the meaning of uh, the facts. Uh, from, so it, it steals from me. And uh, 
declares that uh, the understanding of the word, the uh, explanations are exclusively in the populist leader's hands. So uh, as, a, as a social worker, uh, it's very complicated uh, to, to act anyhow against this because uh, I, can, I am always subordinate in this situation. Uh, and I collected uh, five elements of this uh, procedure and uh, uh, maybe at, that might be useful uh, to understand uh, the behavior of a political uh, populist leader. Uh, and uh, of course, we might think about uh, the reactions. So the first uh, uh, characteristic feature uh, for us is that the leader uses voice of a stylized, so an, it's not a real countryside uh, voice. It sounds as if he were a countryside boy. However, he lives in the capital, in the mo most expensive, most uh, uh, powerful area in the green hillside location. Uh, but he is the one who says that I'm the one who knows how to feed pigs. I'm the one who uh, knows how, how to uh, work as a, a countryman. The second one is a new, new feudal attitude. It means that the singular first person is uh, the characteristic feature, how a populist leader is speaking, that I'm the one who resisted the flood. I'm the one who will give you the vaccine against COVID. I'm the one who will solve all your problems. And uh, always he's in the top of the uh, pyramid. And uh, this is what he explains for us. Uh, the third one is a pseudo-revolution, always against the flood, uh, against Europe, against the enemies. And that's why he needs, needs always enemies so as to be able to fight uh, them. Uh, he's bragging. Okay, let me show somebody who won four times elections. And uh, on the other side, we know that uh, the uh, election was won less with less than the 50% of the population. And because the election system was uh, transformed, uh, they have a two-third in the two-third majority in the parliament. And I think that is the very uh, unique thing in Hungary that uh, because the constitution could be changed, then uh, all democratic uh, institutions could be uh, transformed. So I, I never ever could imagine that, for example, the attorney general would be elected, nominated for nine years and uh, as a continuous effect forever. So it's a lifelong position. So in a democratic uh, society, it is impossible. And that's just one example. Geza, could you tell me how that political system is impacting vulnerable groups in Hungary? How is it impacting ethnic minority groups? How is it impacting people who are gay or lesbian? What are the impacts that you're seeing day to day? Not, not long ago, the ex-social minister uh, declared that poverty disappeared in Hungary. If poverty appeared, disappeared, then social work is not necessary. 
So 15 years ago, uh, we had 7,400 uh, uh, colleagues who graduated at the university level uh, a year. Today, there are 1,300 per year, which is one-sixth of the previous data. It means that social work is a disappearing profession in Hungary. It's something like uh, a watchmaker who makes uh, analog clocks in a digital system. So if there are only digital clocks, uh, the analog uh, watchmaker is not necessary. I, I remember that the first um, uh, decision uh, of the Orban government concerning the social uh, uh, sphere was to create such a social welfare ministry, uh, which has which had two departments, the deserving and the non-deserving department. So the people who deserve help and the other who don't deserve. And uh, the majority of the social uh, money goes to such uh, so-called social programs, which uh, help the uh, upper middle class uh, citizens. For example, the large Christian families who have uh, more than three, four children, they can receive a welfare benefit for buying cars with seven or more seats. There's an income tax exemption as well, isn't there, for, for families with four or more? The whole social welfare system is based on the income tax uh, pre uh, preferences. So uh, the most the, the welfare is distributed according to the tax system. And uh, if you have more uh, money, more income to, uh, for taxing, then, the, then you can use more tax benefits. A poor person has no income, so that's why it's not possible to receive any social welfare money uh, because they have no or very limited amount of taxation. But anyhow, the exclusion is very typical. So, for example, in, uh, in uh, the last year, uh, only 107 people came to Hungary because we have the fences and uh, the uh, 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 hindering of the border crossing. And from these 107 people, only two remain in Hungary. So migrant, migrant problem doesn't exist in Hungary, but the communication is talking about uh, migrants continuously. And they are our enemies uh, officially. Yes, and you said that earlier, that you need to have an enemy if you're going to be a strongman leader. Yes. Thank you, Geza. Jerry and David, in terms of the UK situation, I'm, I'm coming back to a point you made earlier, Jerry, where you were speaking about that research that showed that when people were talking about issues around immigration, um, if they were speaking with somebody face to face, their attitudes were very different to speaking to someone on social media. And I suppose that comes to the heart of it. It's recognizing the humanity of the person you're speaking to. And so often in social media, it's very easy to, to forget somebody's humanity entirely. Um, so in terms of connecting people, is there anything, is there, is, there, is there a role for social work in relation to that? I think there is a role for social work, both locally and nationally, in combating uh, some of the, the things that, that can cause um, populism to, to, to um, flourish. So we do have a real situation of division and inequality in the country and the, 
the information evidence that's coming through around social mobility is really disheartening um, in that people can um, experience more barriers uh, to getting on than they used to and that that's likely to push the inequality even even greater. And I think within that sort of environment, um, people do look for some kind of certainty and they do look for um, someone to fix things and um, someone to blame. And all of those things can lead to othering. And so the social work role within local communities is to help to bring people together, to have conversations, to know one another. Um, there's lots of things locally, politically, which we can do around um, helping people understand each other's communities, helping people have a voice who wouldn't normally have a voice, helping people vote, um, helping people um, get housing, um, opposing things that that cause uh, segregation of communities, like um, people only being allowed to live in a particular area or lack of social housing, so people get pushed into particular spots. And then nationally, um, I think that we have a responsibility to to help the national conversation about some of these divisive issues as well. Um, and social work has strong opinions about things like human rights and social justice, um, anti-racism, anti-oppressive practice, um, you know, that are really important. But you also need to think about how we frame the conversation so that there is a real genuine dialogue um, and it's not a question of a polarising debate where people say we're worried about this and we say, but it's a good thing um, or it's ethically right. Um, I think we really need to, to um, understand where people are coming from and look for some common ground um, and talk about the ways that these these issues like um, human rights issues, like helping people who are homeless, like making sure that people have recourse to public funds if they come into the country and they're destitute, all of these things are um, for the benefit of all of us. So framing it as something that's a positive choice to support people um, and not to exclude them. And also making the point that there is enough wealth in this country not to feel threat, that we can make political choices that mean that there's that everyone can be included and everyone can thrive it's not a win-lose debate it it suits a lot of people though to frame it as a win-lose debate and that's the problem isn't it in terms of yes. political decision makers yeah and just bringing data to bear doesn't seem to be enough um it really is about understanding uh, not just what that what these policies are and the impact that they have but also where they come from um, and countering the, the, the sort of conditions that cause things to flourish. Yes, and it's a, it's a slow game, and, it, but, and it's a challenge because if you think of something like Brexit, there's a lot of populist campaigning in relation to Brexit. Um, if you tell someone who voted for Brexit, you know, you only voted for Brexit because of the disadvantage you face in your life, you are in, in many ways discrediting them and devaluing them as an individual, it's very hard to challenge that narrative without coming across as a bit condescending. David? I think as social workers, when we look at, look at these, these situations, we, we come at it from two points. One is as an individual, as a citizen, as somebody who is politically active, as somebody who is desperately concerned about um, the uh, political environment. 
and we come at it as professional social workers. And I think it is quite important, whilst they must be consistent, to look at, from my own my own view, to look at it from both those those elements separately. But if if we look at the citizen element and look at what happened in the United States, the invasion of the Capitol, um, that was a very serious event. In the end, it was contained. People died, um, but it was contained and the structures of democracy were reinstituted. But it would not have taken much for it to have been very different as an outcome. And if there had been some people in the military or some people in the police who had taken a different side, or if a senior politician had been killed or taken hostage, the situation for the whole world would have been very different. And in some countries around the world, um, some quite close to us, if, if we look at um, Serbia and the former Yugoslavia, what happened there happened very quickly that people who had been friends and in close friendly communities, multinational, very trusting, suddenly found that despite themselves, they were at war with each other. So we have to be re realise how serious these risks are and how fragile some of the structures are. But in this context, what should a professional association do? As social workers, what should we do? How should we, which, how should we make our, our voice heard? And I, I totally agree with what, what Jerry has been saying about the individual discussions, the conversations um, that, that are necessary. But our strength as a professional body comes from grounding it in what we need to do in our work. What is our experience? What are the differences that we, we need to make? And I think for professional associations, that is always, for me, got to be the touchstone of what we're doing. What does this say? What do we know about what it does to communities, how it tears people apart, how it affects people individually? Um, and our focus has to be on that, that practice issue so that we are saying to make our, for everybody, to make our societies safer, to make our societies more livable, we, we need to be able to um, deal with some of these, these challenges. And that is a distinction. And I know that not everybody takes that view. Some people say you have to shout wherever you are. And if you don't, don't stand up, um, you, are, um, you are giving in. But I think you have to choose your moments, you choose your strategies, you choose the tools you use. And at times the professional association can have a really strong voice on things that are in its territory. And if it tries to speak outside of that, it will easily be, be if I could say that, use the phrase, shot down. And in, of course at times, and I've been in countries where social workers have literally been shot down. So we have to think about our strategies and we're in difficult times and being clear about our strategy and what we're seeking to achieve and what's within our power is something that we need to explore and, and discuss. Thank you, David. Geyser? Uh, may I uh, give you two short examples uh, what a um, social work association, so a professional uh, association can do in such a situation. Uh, the In Budapest, uh, in the AIDS district, uh, the mayor gave uh, legislation against the homeless people. So it was a criminalization of the, of the homeless situation. Very simple story. And a colleague uh, organized a demonstration against uh, him uh, promoting the homelessness. And this, this uh, demonstration resulted a court uh, issue. So uh, the colleague was uh, attacked 
uh, and uh, a court case started because he acted as a social worker and promoted the homeless people against the local mayor. Actually, this local mayor is the second person of the actual, actually governing uh, political party. So he was uh, at that time uh, a uh, mayor and now he's the second person in the, in the government. Uh, today, this guy, this colleague is, the, uh, is on the board of the Hungarian Social Workers Association. So uh, actually, I don't want to go into the details of this court case, but this is one possibility. The second one is, uh, which is, uh, which is a new thing. Uh, and the first is that you will hear for the first time is uh, what we shall announce on the 16th of March. And uh, that the announcement will appear on that day, which is a World Social Work Day. And uh, we shall announce that uh, uh, we shall sue the Hungarian government uh, in uh, Strasbourg because uh, it was not possible for social workers to organize strikes uh, because of the dirty tricks of the government. So that's uh, one possibility uh, what we can do. And Geza, that's a that's a very significant move. What response do you expect? Will there be a, a negative um, response against the profession? I don't want to think about that now. <laughs> this really links into the discussions that we've had in International Federation of Social Workers Europe meeting that we we need to um, act as professional associations to support one another. I think this is why we are the member of the International Association. So we, we badly need your support. Because yeah. we, we know that um, this is a collaborative endeavour. This isn't an individual um, mission to oppose um, oppose uh, exclusionary policies and to uphold human rights. It's something we all have to, to work together on. And that, that goes across the different countries. Um, we will need the help in the United Kingdom from other associations at, at some time. Uh, we all we all need to work together on this. And I think that um, that also ties into a, another thing that I wanted to say, which is that um, the people who aren't oppressed need to help the people who are. Um, and I say that as a, as a white person with a lot of privilege in this country, that there are people in our profession who are experiencing discrimination. Um, and there are um, policies that are impacting on particular segments of the, of the the population that we're working with. And while we want to empower people to to challenge that, we also need to recognise that the accountability, um, you know, the, 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 and the opportunity and the potential is, is not equally distributed. So it is for um, the people who, who have privileged to, to take a lead on this as well. And that's something that, that Basel UK is really really working on to try to make sure that we we do use the power that we have. And as David says, use it really strategically to, to make a difference and to ensure that people um, are empowered and supported. Was it Dietrich Bonhoeffer, I think, in Germany in the 1930s, said that the uh, German, the Nazi government, First, they came for the Jews, then they came for the communists, then they came for homosexuals. And when they came for me, there was nobody left. Um, and uh, that, that is part of 
the 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 need for us to develop a broader understanding of the limitations as as you said andy of this thin ideology um that actually it de it depends as as geza was saying on identifying enemies outside and those enemies are 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 attacked and in the end um most people end up um being an enemy of some kind and uh, the risks of that are really very very serious um and so it's important that that as, as social workers we not only work within our professional bodies but within our wider communities as Jerry was saying to stimulate the conversations that help us to understand why the concept of ubuntu is so powerful and so important it's about our well-being for all of us and that we are better together rather than um identifying enemies all the time David, Jerry, Geza, thank you so much for taking the time to discuss this issue with me. It's been challenging. It's been really fascinating. Geza, you're going to be going through seemingly some big challenges in Hungary and Abazwa will be standing in solidarity with the Hungarian Association of Social Workers, no doubt. Thanks a lot, Andy. If anybody wants to learn more about the issue of populism, I would point you towards Jerry's helpful social work podcast. They did an episode well before this in December 2019. I listened to it in preparation. It was fantastic. So if you want to find out more, please listen to that. Um, Jerry, David, Giza, all the best. Thanks for taking part. Thank you. Thank you. I've learned a lot from this. It's been really good. Indeed, um, we can't stop thinking and learning. Thanks, Andy. Yeah, thank you. Take care.